We are live from the empire of lies in an oasis of, of truth and free speech just outside the matrix. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. So, Rod, you put it together another great show with two of our friends, frequent guests. First hour, Ted Rawl will be talking to us from New York and the left about the issues of the day. Then in the second hour, from Philly, Tom Nichols will be joining us, great writer and author. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is a backstory. So I saw, so Rod, you saw Jen Psaki's leaving, right? Yeah, fortunately, fortunately for us, she's leaving. And you see they announced her replacement yesterday. Yeah, I did uh, Kareem Pierre. I believe that's how you say her name. Jean Pierre. Uh, yeah, Jean Jean Pierre. There's that extra word in there they threw in just to screw me up. But uh, and she's going to be and they're announcing she's assistant press, press secretary now, and uh, she'll be taking over. But I was also happy to see Jen Psaki refuting a story, although I'm not sure who I believe. Did you see the story that broke last night? New York Times broke it and Washington Post that officials had given specific intelligence that had led to Ukraine thinking that U.S. flagship, that the Russian flagship. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I did see that. And uh, if you remember, we had Scott on probably about three weeks ago, and he was saying that the reason he believed that Russia wasn't really given any details about it is because they wanted to get all their ducks in a row. And it seems like it seems like this is probably more more than likely true, but let's see, that, that the U.S. did give this intel to Ukraine to strike the ship. Well, here's what happened. The New York Times broke it, and if they got it, they got it directly from sources they have who are in the deep state. Right, because we know the New York Times gets a lot of stuff directly from the CIA or the State Department. But Jen Psaki denied that story. She said, and I'm glad in a sense, because it seemed like what it was doing was the U.S. almost bragging. Yeah, we gave them the intel that they used to destroy your flagship. And that, to me, would have been an act of war by the United States, Right. What am I missing? How is that not an act of war? Oh, no, most definitely. Most definitely. That's why um, I, I know you're saying she refused it. And, you know, the New York Times, you know, they probably had a good source. So, you know, uh, right. It's going to get it's going to get interesting, you know, and, and Russia still hasn't made a, a direct statement or an official statement about it, I, I believe. But I, I'm, I'm glad we're denying it in the sense as opposed to bragging about it. If we're bragging about it. The truth might be we we're behind it. You know, I, I think the truth is we're probably behind it in some way. But if this is the official position of the U.S., for instance, if Saki was saying, yeah, we gave him intelligence, so what? You know, if that was her press secretary, that would worry me because basically then we're daring Russia. What are you going to do about it? 
you agree with that? You see what I'm saying? If we came out no, and is, Jen Psaki had said yeah, we no, did, what, 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 Rod, go ahead. I was saying, I was agreeing with you, like, uh, if it comes out that, you know, we're involved and, you know, personally, just off my belief, I don't have any, you know, I'm just reading the tea leaves. It seems like we're more than likely involved and gave this intelligence. And um, that is, to me, that is an act of war. You know, uh, we've been saying we're not involved. We're just sending weapons. You know, we had Biden say we're just, we're staying out of it. We're just sending weapons. Um, so, but no, it seems we're, we're heavily involved. The U.S. is heavily involved. Right. And she's not saying we had nothing to do with it. Jen Psaki was out there saying, well, not exactly. We didn't give him direct information. We just clued him in a little bit. And I believe that's accurate. In, in other words, we're not on the record officially giving him exact instructions on what to do. But... It, Everybody knows this is a proxy war and that the Ukraine is pro a proxy of the United States. But there's a difference between being a proxy and essentially, you know, uh, a flunky, right? An associate, uh, the getaway driver. And that's what seems to be going on here. So I'm glad Zensaki came out and said that. Now, I'm going to take the unusual step of playing a long clip. I do that occasionally. But did you see these I know I know you put them in the hopper. But I thought Rand Paul going after Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, and questioning him, I thought it was one of the best clips from a politician that I'd ever seen. What did you think, Rod? No, I definitely, I definitely thought it was good of Rand Paul to put Marcus on like that. And this guy, he seems like a uh, old '90s doll, where you pull the string and it has only four lines. He only repeats the same things, and then he he says he's the one in charge, and but then he never takes any uh, accountability for the hiring of Nino uh, Jankowitz or, and you know, this whole the disinformation governance board. He just keeps repeating himself over and over again in front of all of these uh, senators and congressmen. And we'll hear the clip in a second, but the thing I thought was best was Rand Paul said, point blank on the record, that the United States is the greatest purveyor of disinformation in the history of the world. And he pointed out WMDs and going back to Vietnam, he points that out expressly. And I think I made that same point a couple of days ago. Had I not said something like that, I don't remember. But it's true. <laughs> and But wasn't I talking about WMDs as an example of why we can't? Yeah, yeah, most, yeah definitely. Probably like Monday or Tuesday, I think you were talking about that. Yeah, I, I thought it was. But uh, uh, Rand Paul said that, and he's right. And not only is he right, it was gutsy. But before we play that clip, let me mention one other clip that I'm not playing today, but I thought was interesting. Did you see Lauren Bold, the House member? Did you see did you see the clip she did about transgender athletics? No, I missed that one, Lee. I missed that one. Okay. 
She did, and I could put it on. I, I, because I've got these long clips today. I didn't want to do that. But one of the things, she's walking right at the camera and talking. One of those shots where the camera's moving back and she's walking at the camera and talking. I didn't know how beautiful she was. I really <laughs> didn't. No, I'm serious. In in this clip, clip which we're not going to play today, she's so attractive and confident. And part of her attractiveness comes from her confidence. Did you know how hot she was? She's not a bad looking woman, you know. Right. No, no. And in this clip, she she's called not, out. She's the not Jen Psaki. She's not Jen Psaki. Right. So by contrast, did you see uh, Benny, who's uh, been on the show before, he posted a picture of Jen Psaki and Peppermint Patty from Charlie Brown. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Yes. And this strike is, is a striking similarity. But uh, Lauren Bullard called out the NCAA, and she just said, the woman who the man beat, she was robbed. And she was robbed of a woman's athletic title. And a, she called her a world-class female athlete, was beaten by a mediocre male athlete. And that sounds about right. What do you think, Ron? 100%, 100% that uh, Leah Thomas, I forget what name, you know, his the name he was given at birth, but uh, before he changed it to, to start in uh, women's athletics. But um, he was like th like 300th in, 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 in men's. So, he, you know, that's like, you know, that's like bench. If you were talking about basketball player, you're like the second to last guy on the bench. Yeah, no, right. And they better hope the equivalent of LeBron James doesn't decide that he looks good in a dress. Because if a real world-class male athlete decides to start competing in female athletics, I'm just, I'll put it like that, like the equivalent of a Michael Jordan or LeBron or Tiger Woods or someone at the top of their game, then forget it, ladies. Michael Phelps becoming, you know, Michael yeah, Phelps yeah. becoming Michelle Phelps. Right. And and that would be a sight to see. But imagine if they did, they would break every record in women's athletics, and there would be records that would never be broken. So I want to go to the first. I get first is Rand Paul clip. And and about how long is it? Yeah. So let's play that. This is worth hearing all of this. And I, because we're in Washington, D.C., I'm extra glad on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Let's play Rand Paul versus the head of the DHS. Hit it. So... Here's my question. The FBI concludes that the Steele dossier was full of Russian disinformation. CNN propagated this disinformation gladly for years and years. The difference, I guess, between your opinion and our opinion is that as despicable as it is that CNN propagated this disinformation, I, 
I wouldn't shut them down. I wouldn't lecture them. I wouldn't put it on a government website that CNN's wrong for propagating disinformation. The problem you have is you're not even willing to admit. I mean, we can't even have an agreement on what the FBI said was disinformation. How do you propose that you're going to have an office of disinformation governance if you see the problem in even determining what is disinformation? Oh, Senator, because um, our work is not um, focused on disinformation writ large. Where we, the Department of Homeland Security, become involved is when there's a connectivity between disinformation and threats to the security of the homeland. Let me well, that's what the Russians can, might be considered that. You mentioned the Russians the other day when you tried to pivot away from this being about censorship. But let's say it is the Russians. I know you're not going to ever agree that the Steele dossier, which y'all spent so much money on, was disinformation. But it was, and the FBI concluded. But let's just say there's an imaginary disinformation. You've discovered tomorrow Russian disinformation that's going to hurt our national security. And CNN's broadcasting it. What are you going to do? Senator, let me... You're going to tell Putin you shouldn't do this. Senator, what Senator, are you going to do? Senator, let me, let me explain what we do in the Department of Homeland Security with respect to disinformation. And frankly, what we've been doing for nearly 10 years across different administrations. The cartels, the cartels propagate disinformation that Title 42 does not apply to a particular community of migrants, migrants from a particular country. How are they we propagating do, this? If I may, through social media. And what we do through U.S. Customs and Border Protection is actually communicate via social media and other channels that that is false, that we do apply Title 42. So let's say there's Russian disinformation as well. Are you going to take the social media and broadcast that people are broadcasting something incorrect about what do you think is Russian disinformation? Uh, Senator, let me emphasize... Well, you said the other day Russians, and now you're saying not so much the Russians, you're saying the cartels. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, Senator. You're, you're mischaracterizing well, my statement. Then what are you going to do if there's Russian disinformation? You're going to broadcast me, something on social media? Allow me to share when we become involved in the Department of Homeland Security. We become involved when disinformation poses a threat to the security of our country. It is when there's a connectivity to th a threat to our country. It could be a threat, a connectivity to violence. And what this, what this working group does uh, what this working group does is precisely what I would think you would want it to do, which is to take a look at the work, the disinformation work that our department has done and ask the following questions. Do we have policies? Do we have guardrails? Do we have yeah, standards? But here's the problem. Ensure, we can't I mean, even agree. We can't even agree what disinformation is. is you well, can't even agree that it was disinformation, that the Russians fed information to the Steele dossier. If you can't agree to that, how we ever going to come to an agreement on what is disinformation so you can police it on social media? Senator, I have two points, if I may uh, finish. Um, uh, number one, that what this office, what the, I'm sorry, what this working group does, because it's not an office, what this working group does is ensure that there are guardrails, definitions, standards to make sure that the free speech rights, the civil rights, civil liberties, and privacy rights of individuals so are do not think, in. So do you think COVID, do you think COVID, two, do you think COVID, disinfer may, do you think COVID disinformation threatens our national security? And number two, if I may, Senator, 
monitor. And number two, is it your proposition that when the cartels spread disinformation with respect to our immigration policies to try to lure vulnerable migrants to our border illegally? I think you've got no idea what disinformation is, and I don't think the government's capable of it. Do you know who the greatest propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Are you familiar with McNamara, the Pentagon Papers? Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I mean, think of all the debates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speech. You think we can't determine, you know, speech by traffickers is disinformation? You think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with a steel dossier. I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. So I do have a question, and here's the question. So the Russians, maybe the Russians, maybe some cartels. What about COVID disinformation? Is that in your bailiwick for your dis- your disinformation governance board? Senator, you would have to give me the details. With okay, here I, I I've said a million times. I've said a million times that cloth masks don't work. YouTube takes me down. They're a private company. I can have that beef with them. All right, what about you? You're going to look at that. I often say that natural immunity from having had the infection is equal to the vaccine or better. You're going to take that down. There, there, well, first of all, is those are very specific, Senator. First of all, it's not for us to take it down, and second of all, are you going to put information not, out there are, saying that I'm spreading disinformation? Uh, 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 Senator, we are not the public health experts to make those determinations. So public health won't be part of the disinformation governance board. No COVID disinformation. Yes or no? Senator? Yes or no? Is public health going to be part of your censorship group? Somebody, allow me, because you're you're presenting hypotheticals that are vague. I just gave you a very specific one on cloth masks. I gave you a very specific one on immunity from previous infections. I answered your question, but let me me answer the question. The last question that you posed. Do not, do not, under any circumstances, accept the vaccine at a FEMA uh, overseen vaccination center because they are actually peddling fentanyl. Now, should I sit back and take that, or should I actually disseminate accurate information? This is what we're doing, what we would do. Should FEMA issue accurate information that the vaccinations that we are administering in the sites that we oversee actually are the COVID-19 vaccines? I have, I have a have greater respect for the American people That's than you do. I think the American people can figure out the truth. And if you think the American people need to be told there's not fentanyl in the vaccination, feel free to say it. But the thing is, is if you are going to go around saying that you are the arbiter of information and of disinformation, I think you have no clue. Never you don't that. have the perspective history knowing that disinformation, the largest progenitor of it, disinformation in our history has probably been the U.S. government. I've, I've never said that, and actually I've said the Thank exact opposite. Thank you, we are not. Okay, so Rod, am I alone in being completely baffled? I have no, I have no idea from that exchange what the hell this border it's, he's saying it's not offices aboard, but fine. I have no idea what they're going to do. I heard a lot of 
we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. Do you have any idea from anything you've heard from Ericus in all the testimony we listened to over the past few days, what the hell the board does specifically? Uh, the most I've heard him repeat is the cartels, the cartels, the cartels. You know, supposedly, the, I guess the cartels are putting out disinformation to America, and we don't know it. And we're being we're being fooled, Lee. And the cartels are so much smarter than we are that they're uh, they're just dis- disseminating 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 so much disinfo that we need this man to to be the minister of truth. And I didn't know that the cartels had a big social media presence. You know, like the Sinaloa cartel, I didn't know they had a social media division. You know, that's on tweeting for the cartel. I wonder if they use it for advertising. You know, we're the best coyotes. But I had no idea the cartels were so active on social media. Did you? No, me neither, Lee. Uh, so, you know, I'm just as surprised as you. And that's why we need Mr. Alejandro Mayorkas uh, to be our minister of truth. And he's going to make sure that we don't, you know, we're not being lied to that uh, there's fentanyl in the vaccines. I, I never even heard that one at all. I never, I've, I've never heard that either. That's right. That's the, the um, fentanyl in the vaccines one. And I've heard a lot of stuff. I yeah, know there's that. been a lot of them, but that's the, I mean, that's t- till today. I never heard about fentanyl and vaccines. I mean, there's enough fentanyl. I, I, I'm from Philly. You can get it on the street with a, just like you can get some candy. So uh, I don't know why you need it. It needs to be secretly in a, in a vaccine. I would think it would make the vaccinations more popular. People heard they could get fentanyl at the vaccine. The line around the hospital might run around the block in some areas. But I want to play this other clip. This is Josh Howley in another exchange about the disinformation board. Hit it. Wow, that's that's exceptional, particularly given that you told me just a few minutes ago in our earlier round that you weren't aware of the many comments that I read to you then, one after another, after another, after another, when you hired her for this job. So clearly you didn't do your due diligence, and now you're telling me that you're not concerned about her, frankly, outrageous and vitriolic statements that are partisan in the extreme. Because I can't believe I'm hearing this. Let, let, me, let me share with you uh, something. She was hired by the Department of Homeland Security. You said that you're responsible for that. I am the Secretary of Homeland Security. Indeed. And therefore, I bear responsibility. Indeed. Why don't you fire her? And so, I am going, she is going to execute her responsibilities in a nonpartisan way and accomplish the mission for which she has been hired. Why don't you just dissolve this board? I mean, you haven't heard a single senator support this board. It is an abomination. It is unconstitutional. And frankly, it is embarrassing. And the fact that you've chosen this person to lead it is appalling. Why don't you just dissolve it? Senator, this board, this working group provides a very important function. No, it doesn't. We have we have been we have been executing our mission to address disinformation that threatens the security of the homeland for years. So what does this board add? Dissolve it. So allow me to answer your question. We have lacked 
sufficient guardrails, policies, and standards to guide that work to ensure that that work, which has been done for nearly 10 years, is done in a way that does not infringe on people's right of free speech, okay. right of privacy, uh, okay. rights and civil liberties. Okay. And, and that's what this working group okay. is going to do. They're going to put the guardrails in place. So just so we understand, you have chosen Ms. Jankowitz, who says that the distinction between free speech and censorship is false, who says that the president's supporters are homegrown purveyors of disinformation, who has called herself the Mary Poppins of misinformation. You've chosen her to create guardrails for the entire federal government for free speech. Senator. I mean, that's exceptional. Senator. That's amazing. The and the point is, and, and he's right to focus on that, and he just, he, the clip you played the, the other day about her talking about color revolutions, I've not heard any senators bring up, but I think that's an important clip too. She is wholly unqualified to determine what disinformation is. She can't tell the difference between truth and lies. And that brings me to another point. I'll be talking about more in the second hour. Something occurred to me this morning. Joe Biden should be sued by Russia for defamation. Allow me to expand on that. The hey, Russian wait, government... We, we, got, go uh, ahead, we, got brave, we got Brave and Ingrid on hold, so uh, I don't know if you want to take the calls or uh, tell them to call back. Let me, let me do that. Let me go to calls. I'll talk about this more next hour. Ingrid in D.C., you're on. Okay, um, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, interesting that Mayorkas should finish up with talking about vaccines at the border. Uh, fentanyl aside, usually in these situations where they vaccinate someone and they don't know if they're going to have another chance, they give them the J&J. J&J has been now restricted more heavily just yesterday by the FDA Nobody under 18 should get it, and people over 18 should only have it as a last resort because they have concluded it is a cause of these blood clotting problems. So it's just a curious way for Mayorkas to finish up on that. No, I know. And I saw that about the J&J, and of course, I took the J&J vaccine after the first time I was in the hospital for a stroke. So... I don't think it had anything to do with the first one, but I've been hospitalized three times since then, and I'm I'm concerned. Now I, I I they're restricting it more heavily if you're under 18, and I'm way on the other side of that. But uh, I saw some people were being censored for saying. They didn't like the headline. Break, the breaking this breaking news Twitter account was censored. They had their tweet removed because they didn't phrase it exactly right. But then the AP used almost exactly the same headline, saying the J and J vaccine has been restricted by the FDA. And uh, again, it's more for young people. And people, if there's, you know, what worries me is I wasn't told J&J, &J, I was given an option. 
They didn't say there's none. We don't have any of the other vaccines. And I got to say, I, part of the reason I took it, and Rod, am I right about this? The J&J vaccine is not an mRNA vaccine, right? Correct. Yeah, so that worries me a little, that the one they're restricting more is not an mRNA vaccine. Is that weird? Um, n- no, uh, Lee, you know, a lot of the information is getting suppressed. A lot of information gets put out and gets suppressed and then they keep going with the narrative. So, but, so, uh, a lot of these vaccines, there's been a lot of, uh, vaccine, Pfizer just released 80,000 80, page document with the, uh, vaccine injuries in it. And that's being suppressed. I've seen censorship of that online. So this is just how things are going now. Yeah. And, and great calling Ingrid. Thanks for pointing that out. And, uh, I, I like that Rand Paul brought that up, brought the vaccination issue up with Mayorkas too, because it is an area where information has been censored. So great clips, Josh Howley and Rand Paul versus Department of Homeland Security. And I like that Holly just said, fire her, dissolve the board. Did you hear anything, Rod? about what this board does or why it's being kept in place, aside from guardrails? What the hell does that mean? Guardrails. I have, I have no I have no idea. This is he's just I have no idea what the guy's is talking about. Again, it's just the cartels and now COVID nineteen. Right. What's a guardrail? I, I don't I I don't know. You know, is this information bumper cars? I don't know what's going on. When we come back After a short break, we'll have Ted Rawl on with us. Take a break on The Backstory. Back on the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390, in the Washington, D.C. area, and also, of course, Virginia and Maryland, because, you know, the signal goes there. We're joined now for the next half hour by a good friend of the show, Ted Rawl, author, cartoonist, Bobby Vaughn. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I'm good, Lee. How are you doing? I'm okay. So, Ted, let me. Uh, I I don't think we've talked to you about Nina Jankowicz yet. Are you impressed by Nina Jankowicz from what you've seen about her? Do you trust her to gauge disinformation? Our government. Trust. I don't trust anyone to gauge uh, disinformation or misinformation. Uh, and I, I, I certainly, I don't know that I trust her to do anything. Um, but yeah, no, uh, no, no, and hell no. No, it seems to me that there's, this is going on a lot in this administration, and possibly administrations in Obama and Trump, recent administrations, they seem to put people in place who aren't, for lack of a better word, serious people. And I, I like people who have fun. 
There's nothing wrong with that. But Nina Jankowicz is not someone who you could consider. They keep saying she's a subject matter expert. But the fact that she's up there doing TikTok videos, I don't know if it's qualifying or disqualifying on its own. What do you think, Ted? I would. I don't think it helps. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. There is a. I mean, you know, you you could say there's a long tradition of of uh, unqualified public officials. I always think of Reagan's Secretary of Energy, who was a dentist by training. Um, there are other examples. Pete Buttigieg. Uh, you know, he was. Uh, the mayor of a, of a small city that had 80 buses that were not even under the control of the mayor, a, separ- a, sp- a different transportation authority uh, took care of the 80 buses that served South Bend. But, you know, now he's in charge of the DOT for the entire U.S. That's weird. Um, yeah, uh, you know, the, I would certainly agree that this fits into that category. Yeah, no, and, and I I don't think I would hate to be in position of having to defend Nijenkowitz. If 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 I had to get up there and defend her like Jensaki or Myokas, I think it'd be a tough job to have defending her. Do you agree? I I concur. It's not a job that I would want to have. Now, we had the other day, Jason Goodman was on, and he was starting to cover the protests. Obviously, the release of the document showing that Roe versus Wade is scheduled to be overturned, if the votes say the same, has caused a lot of protests. What are you seeing, because you're in Manhattan, what are you seeing, any evidence of protests on the streets of New York as you go about your business, Ted? Well, I mean, you know, it's a big city and I, I live uptown and I, you know, so anything like that tends to happen more downtown, more like Union Square, uh, which is not my usual stomping ground. So that's all a way of saying there may well have been some protests, but, uh, you know, I have not been made aware of either. I have not personally witnessed or heard of anyone saying, oh, I just came from the protest or, oh, I saw a protest. There's nothing going on, really. Now, I assume, just from, from knowing you as much as I do, I would assume you are opposed to Roe v. Wade being overturned, correct? Well, it was a really terrible court decision. Uh, so I'm in favor of abortion rights. I think that here's my take on abortion. Abortion is murder. It is the killing of an unborn child. I think women have to have that ability. They have to have, they must have the right, the choice to uh, kill their unborn babies. They have to have that um, in order to have free agency. Uh, it's a horrible thing, but it's a right that they have to have. Uh, that said, wrote, abortion rights never should have hung on the uh, a flimsy, uh, poorly reasoned legal decision it should have been a federal law passed many, many years ago. Uh, 
uh, as is the case in every other country that has a legal abortion. A country like Ireland has federal abortion, federal national abortion law. Um, that's what we should have had. So I'm not opposed to the overturning, although it happened in a disingenuous way uh, because the you know so, so many recent justices swore under oath to the U.S. Senate during their confirmation hearings that they did not plan to overturn it, that they considered it settled law. Um, you know, it's that is is wrong. But I think I've I've thought that Roe v. Wade was kind of a piece of crap and it was going to be overturned, and I I might have voted to overturn it myself. What we need here is is and should have had a long time ago is a congressional solution. So. Roe v. Wade, I don't care about. I care about women and abortions and abortion rights, and that I'm in favor of. Well, Ted, that's a very, I'll, I'll put it, fair position to take. And I think it avoids a lot of the problems I have with it. Whereas I agree there's murder, and then I say, don't do that. And you might make some exceptions for rape or incest, possibly. But even then, it's a tough call for me. But uh, I think that by not saying it's not murder, and I said on a show, Roe v. Wade, and do you know how took the position Roe v. Wade was a rather bad decision, was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know that, right? You've seen her talk about that. I have. I mean, you know, it's not, a, it's not an unusual... I mean, a lot of legal experts really thought it was a terrible, a, a bad decision. Um, so I don't think it's that unusual, even among liberals. It's one of those things like a lot of liberals just sort of say, well, you know, I'm pro-choice, so I don't really care that it was a poorly reasoned decision. But that's not, you know, that's, it's a, that's sophistry. I mean, you know, a, a bad decision is a bad decision, even if it goes in your favor. Now, Ted, can, can I ask you to talk directly into the phone? Because... We're losing a little bit there. Okay, uh, all right. Sick. How's that? Yeah, that's much better. But but okay. Ted, let me ask you: uh, the Roe versus Wade decision is being made out like when this memo got released. A lot of people seem to think this is the end of abortion in America, and it's clearly not, right? It, only in the, only in the, in in some of the red states. Right. But abortion won't be going away in New York, for instance. No, right? nothing will change. Nothing will change there. And I'm going to ask you to read in the psychology of politicians. You say there's no congressional solution in the decade since Roe versus Wade. And it should have been. I'm going to posit the theory and agree or disagree that it's because politicians are cowardly wimps and they don't want to state their position on the record they don't want to vote for or against it most politicians will assume avoid the entire issue and and leave it up to the courts to take the heat on this do you think so a hundred percent i think that's exactly what happened um i think democrats have there are too many um they know that their party's not unified. They have like, you know, their their swing voters that are uh, pro-life or skeptical about the pro-choice position. They know that their 
there's uh, sort of former Republicans they're trying to get, um, you know, there's, and there's Catholics, uh, you know, it's a, and then conversely, Republicans know that the country is pro majority pro-abortion, uh, you know, let's just say certainly for the first trimester. Um, so yeah, nobody wants to risk losing vote votes. It's too messy. It's risky. Better just to kick the can down the road and not go on go on the record. Lee, you're 100 percent right. Yeah. Now, and I would say that the the line's been blurred because I saw uh, I forget who it was. It was some politician. They asked him about, "Do you believe in abortion up till the time of birth?" And this politician refused to answer. I would say the the Democrat position on this, I would say as a party, they are now in favor of, they're opposed to, let me say, they're opposed to any restrictions on abortion, including up to the time of birth. And I've heard in some cases after birth. Do you think the Democrats position has been polarizing and do you think it's changed at all over time? I think, um, yeah, no, I think that's right. Uh, that's certainly, you know, I mean, the two parties were pretty close together on abortion in like the in the mid 1970s. Um, and things, I think you could see the Republicans set a trap uh, for the Democrats with the late term abortion restrict, uh, proposed restrictions. And, um, you know, it seems most people would say, well, look, if you're going to need it, for the most part, unless it's a health issue, uh, you know, if you're going to get an abortion, you should get it as soon, as soon as you find out you're pregnant, not like, you know, month eight and a half uh, for just for fun. And so that's a position that is you know, most Americans agree with. Democrats saw it for what it was, which was a slippery slope. You know, it's like, well, if we're not going to have late term abortions, how about midterm abortions? And if we're not going to have those, then, you know, so that is so the Republicans and there's no room for nuance in this debate at all. Um, so it's been a lot of sophistry all around. I mean, Republicans knew they weren't going to stop there. They're pushing to have it abolished completely, although now they're kind of almost like a dog that caught a car and they wonder if they've overshot uh, because they're worried about uh you know, blowback. Um, but at the same time, Democrats have have fallen for the trap. So it's 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 that's yeah, I think that's where things are. Now, what do you think the dangers in general are of our country being so polarized where these extreme positions on Republicans and Democrats? And I would say Democrats own a lot of this because they take very polarizing positions and very insulting. I saw the, this woman who's a black conservative, uh, who's a co-host of The View, and a woman was saying to her, I think a black Republican is a contradiction. And and I'll put it like this, that that's weird. You know, you 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 wouldn't hear that if I said, a Chinese Democrat, it makes no sense. It's a complete contradiction. There's nothing about a person's ethnicity 
that determines what political party they are. But what's the danger you see in the things being so polarized and, and not even putting any blame on it, but how there's very little common ground between Democrats and Republicans? Ted? Well, I think it's on any number of issues, it's not a problem really to have polarization. I mean, you know, for example, if, you know, you're, you're either, for example, against a war or you're for a war and being a little for a war is not sort of an in-between position. It's a binary situation. Um, but I think the broader problem is that um, we don't, as a country, like uh, acknowledge the fact that the other side of our, of our arguments may well have a point, even if we don't really agree with it. I mean, you know, we talked in my position on abortion, I recognize that people who are pro-life, like yourself, have a principled stand, and it has a, you know, and it, it, it has a sound ethical and legal and moral basis for it. And it, it's not, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to try to dance around and say, well, you know, this is, it's just a lump of protoplasm. If the kid's not viable, then it's not really alive. It's not alive. It's a potential for life. I'm not going to say that because it's, it's BS. It's not true. And, um, you know, you have to, I think that's our problem is, you know, we, you know, like we have, we have Republicans who will say, well, you know, there's, there's no proof that climate is really changing due to you know, human interference or due to an in industrialization. Well, of course it is. And, you know, it's, so it, it, there's no, we can't even have intelligent debates or discussions because we can't even acknowledge that a problem exists, much less uh, try to, to work on ways to solve it that is a way that most people can live with. So we have, a, we have an intellectually toxic environment that, you know, I don't really care about the polarization. I care about the inability to listen and understand that, you know, when you, can, when you get involved in an argument, you have to always understand that you might be wrong. And you, you, and be willing to change your mind if you are convinced that you are mistaken. Well, Ted, let me challenge one thing you said. You said you can't be in little in favor of a war. And I think that is a position that many Americans find themselves in with war, and particularly Republicans. I think a lot of Republicans, if being in favor of a war means occasionally grunting and saying USA, you know, USA, USA, then they're in favor of it. But once it comes to the part where people are sent home in body bags, they, they wimp out. They're not in favor of the war. And I think because they're celebrating, as they do every year, over in Europe and Russia, the victory in World War II. I think Russia as a nation, because they lost so many millions of people in World War II, gets war on a, they take it more seriously and they take the sacrifices that it entails seriously and in a way that Americans don't really. I'm not saying we didn't lose people in Vietnam, we did. I'm not saying we haven't lost people in other conflicts, but not on a big basis. I know a lot of Americans like talking tough 
And again, I'm talking about Republicans here. They really like talking tough or grunting tough. They're in favor of that, but they don't like the body bags. And politicians know that. And I think that's why we conduct wars the way we do as sanction wars or proxy wars. Ted, what do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's 100% right. Um, you know, that's kind of part of what Biden and the Democrats have going for them uh, by supporting Ukraine in a proxy war against Russia. They, As long as the U.S. doesn't commit troops, um, there won't be a considerable amount of blowback. Um, not yet. Uh, there might be some, at some point, people might look at the money and, uh, you know, and, and think, okay, wow, we have so many domestic needs not being addressed here. Why are we wasting this money over there? But yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. I mean, you know, it's 29 million uh, Soviet citizens died in World War II, 58,000 in Vietnam, 10,000 of those in Vietnam died in, you know, car accidents and other accidents. Uh, they didn't even, only 48,000 died in combat. I mean, that's not nothing, but those numbers are, there's a wildly lopsided difference. Um, but I still think, I'm going to stick to my stance, if you're in, you know, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound when it comes to military conflict. You back a side, you send, you know, you can just watch the Ken Burns, I don't know, 500 episode document. Wait, you know, Ted, one thing Ted, is we're losing you. You know you're at war. No, right. And I, I think, I, I think we're agreeing because, because I think ultimately you have to be you, if you're in. But I don't think Americans are prepared for that because they're so used to. And also, this has allowed Congress not to ever declare war as they haven't, I believe, since World War II. I believe Korea was not declared as a war. They, Korea was not ever, declared. That's right. Right. And so Korea was a, Korea was that, a police action. Right. Yes. And, and, and I think we've had, as um, Americans, taking these positions that were kind of, we can't make up our mind whether we're in or out. And it's ended up as being the worst of both. Because clearly, we've been able to kill a lot of people, uh, Iraq being an example. Our sanctions killed a lot of people, at least half a million children, something Madeleine Albright thought was okay and worth it. But we, we can say, well, we weren't at war, technically, but we've managed to kill a lot of people. Ted? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a, a, a very, it's, it's a sick statement, but it's true. Um, it's, it's, it's deplorable. Now, Ted, in this polarized world between the Republicans and the Democrats, why do you think Democrats, which were once people who believed in free speech, people who opposed censorship, I'm old enough to remember it was the Republican right-wing fundamentalists who were in favor of censorship when I was growing up and when I was a, a, a young adult. Uh, 
the Democrats have become the party of censorship and have become the party of stopping free speech. In fact, the mention of free speech seems to bother. I, I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't think I'm being exaggerating this. Democrats are opposed to free speech in general, a lot of them. What do you think happened to the Democratic Party? I think the they noticed the uh, effectiveness. They blundered into the effect, the effect, the effectiveness of uh, of the tactic of shouting down speech that they didn't like. Um, you know, you Republicans back in their uh, you know censorship, anti-free speech days, uh, they would uh, their their tactics were like uh, blackballing. Um, you know, getting putting people on the black, Hollywood blacklist, that sort of thing, um, and getting people f- fired from their academic jobs. Um, Dem- I think Democrat liberals were sort of impotent, and like let's say when say a, a Reagan official uh, or a Bush official would come to a college campus, they would just yell at them and scream at them and shout them down so they couldn't talk, and they started to notice that it worked, that sometimes they would just stop speaking and that would be the end of the talk. They kind of blundered into the tactics of like a cultural revolution struggle session and uh, and noticed that you could make people shut up just by being louder than them and, and, and shaming them. The internet, of course, is also uh, allows that tactic uh, of people clustering over around and bombing someone that they don't like uh, with their words and yelling at them, calling them names and making them, you know, either seem small or just go away. Uh, so I think they blundered into the tactic and it, it, it's even though, uh, so the tactic separated from their ideology um, it it sort of became a lazy, it's like, well, we don't have to argue anymore to try to convince anyone that we're right. We can just yell at our opponents, shout them down, and and then uh, you know that naturally leads into a contempt for free speech that they might themselves, you know, they, they didn't even notice that they were that they had contempt for free speech. Everything was an exception. Like, well, just this one time, this guy's such a jerk. He's so far right wing. We'll go yell at him. Uh, oh, just one more time. Oh, well, this guy's a centrist, but we don't like him either. We're going to do the same thing, and wow! It just it just before long, it turns out you're just a bunch of gutter snipes. Well, Ted, in the last minute or so we have here, I think you're a creative person. Again, you're you're an author, you're a cartoonist, you work in the creative industry. I think this is a danger for the Democrats, where most a, a majority of creative people have become Democrats. There's a dearth of creativity, by and large, with Republicans. I think this is an especially dangerous position for creative people to take, being against free speech, because creative people need that room to be controversial more. Ted, what do you say about that? One million percent, Lee. No question. I mean, you know, no free speech, no First Amendment, no Ted Rawl. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like we have to – I absolutely – uh, stand for the free speech of everyone and anyone, no matter what they have to say, no matter how much I disagree with it. 
And and that's why we love having you on the show. Ted Rawl, great conversation. Always enjoy talking to you. Have a great weekend. You too. That's not an order, by the way. You can have a lousy weekend if you want to. You're an artist. But please, <laughs> if you choose to, have a great weekend. That's Ted Rawl. His website is com, And you can order some of his creativity on the website. Check it out. Custom cartoons and all his books and everything else at Rawl.com. More when we come back from a short break on The Backstory. from the empire of lies, an oasis of free speech and real information in the vast desert of the empire of lies and just outside the matrix. We're the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines and better conversations on the backstory. An example of better conversations with people, Ted and I, if you, if we wrote our politics down on a piece of paper, we don't agree on a lot of stuff. But I like talking to Ted, uh, and I respect him, and I like the fact that we have productive discussions with people of different opinions on this show. And I think it's one of the unique services we provide. We, we if someone comes in on the right, I try not to have some of my favorite conversations are people like Ted Rawl or Caleb Muffin who are on the left and principled people. And I find that because we're able to discuss the issues, there's a lot more agreement than some people might think. And I'm not just trying to, you know, Ben Shapiro's phrase, destroy lips. You notice that have you ever had the feeling I'm trying to destroy Ted Rawl, Rod? No, never. Yeah. And it gets into some interesting stuff. I th- I think the, the, the point he's making about not arguing whether abortion is murder, I think Ted's at least being honest about that, right? And I, I hate it when people try to get weird about the definition of what this is. Like if you end a pregnancy in the first trimester, it's clearly a life. Now, but Ted's saying, but we have to have that freedom. And and I understand that position. And although I don't agree with it, do you understand where Ted's coming from? At least there, Rod? Yeah, no, I understand his position. I understand where where he's coming from. Uh, you know, uh, we don't have to agree with it and whatnot, but uh, but I understand where he's coming from. And you're not enough to argue him about something stupid like saying it's not a life, right? You see what I'm saying? If he said no, it's not a life, well, how do you argue against that? And that sets the conversation back. Now, coming up this hour, Ted. Tom Nichols, forgive me, that was Ted last hour. Tom Nichols, 
the great writer, author, Billy expert, knows a lot of stuff. And I'll be talking to him this hour and taking your calls. 202-521-1320. Brave, owl killer, I saw you called in. If you want to call back, it's a good time on the backstory. So what I was saying was, this occurred to me this morning. Russia should sue Joe Biden for defamation. Let me ask you, Rod, if, now imagine this, and I'm going to be very specific. I'm going to turn it about you as an example. If Joe Biden had said, no, the Hunter Biden isn't a laptop story. It's not a real story. It was planted by Rod, the producer, right? If he'd gotten up on TV and said multiple times, that story was planted it's fake information planted by Rod, the producer. Would you have a case for defamation? Well, of course, 100%. And just a, just, just a FYI, we got an Al killer on the line. Okay, we'll get to Al killer. So I'm going to argue that if it would be defamation against you, it's defamation against the country of Russia. Now, I don't know if they have standing, can, can a country sue? I don't know, but I believe he's put it on Putin. It would be great if Putin sued him for defamation, wouldn't it? That'd be fun. But let me point out something else. Someone who lied about Russia, Joe Biden, I'm going to be blunt about it. He lied about Russia and said the Hunter Biden laptop story was fake news planted by Russia. He should have no business conducting foreign policy about that country. He's already lied about them and used them as a fall guy for a true story because he didn't want to deal with the accusations that were being made against his son and his family. One of those accusations involved him, that he was getting money from his son's business dealings. And it came from a number of sources. For him to blame Russia should disqualify him from conducting foreign policy. You've been following, I'm not closely, but you know about the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp situation, right? Yeah, yeah. Johnny Depp suing Amber Heard for defamation. Do you think... Amber Heard is in a position, if if Johnny Depp is right, if she's defamed him, of should she be allowed to tell a friend of hers, well, here's his car. It'd be nice if he blew it up, right? That would, I, I would argue that what Joe Biden's done makes us completely untrustworthy source making his current accusations against Russia. His current accusations, do you see what I'm saying, Rod? I'm saying he has no credibility about the Russia issue. He did that to himself, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Joe, Joe Biden doesn't have the credibility on this Russia issue. He has too many conflicts of interest, uh, conflicts of interest uh, with the Ukraine, his son, and all this stuff going on. And, um, so yeah, he's he's 
he shouldn't be mentioning Russia and he shouldn't be accusing Russia of anything, especially since all the things he has accused him of, he's been wrong. Right. Yes. And, and that means it's dangerous to have that guy conducting foreign policy about that country. Right. If you've already lied about a country to protect your own skin, you should not be allowed to do foreign policy. I just don't want him to make any statements about it. He's beclowned himself already. So we'll come to you in one second, I'll kill her. But I want to mention that I was this morning on RT's Crosstalk with Peter Lavelle, a great show. I was on one of the other guests with Scott Ritter. And I'm happy that RT still exists, even though RT America's been shut down. RT, and it's harder to get, and no one in Europe saw it, although they can figure out ways around internet censorship. But I was on P. Lavelle's Crosstalk, and it was about the issue of whether the U.S. is becoming a combatant in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And it was came out, we, we taped the episode before this last New York Times story saying that we were a combatant, although Jen Psaki, and officially she's saying, no, 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 we're not. But it was great to be on the show. And I'm so glad that RT still exists and that Crosstalk still exists and that they had me on as a guest. And I was happy. And that's still on Odyssey, non-YouTube. But it's on the RT website. So check out my appearance today on Crosstalk. I think you'll like it. And Rumble. Right, and Rumble. Rumble, the other thing the Rumble's involved in is, to, you know, about 2,000 miles. Dinesh D'Souza's got a new film. Mules, 2,000 2000 mules. Oh, oh, wait, 2,000 mules? Yeah, I believe it's 2,000 mules. 2,000 something begins with an M. That's not a good name, but I'm, I told you I'm, I'm blind. But that, that voting election fraud documentary, and Dinesh D'Souza is someone on the right who makes quality documentaries. They're very well produced. He's got good production value. Although there are a lot of shots of Dinesh D'Souza reading books. Have you noticed that? Dinesh's movies have a lot of shots of him thinking. Yeah, I, yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> I've noticed that. It would be like if, and it would be weird for me if I took my camera out, and I would feel weird saying to whoever was operating the camera, my son or my girlfriend, let's say, saying, now, I'm going to try to look smart here and like I'm thinking about something. Shoot the footage. But that's what Dinesh D'Souza does. Maybe someone else directs it. Let's get a shot of Dinesh thinking. But I'm not saying he's not smart, and they are well-produced, but that's a very controversial film. And the Twitter account for the film was immediately suspended. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did notice that. And uh, it's, it's funny because uh, somebody 
in Philly that went to the protest for uh, after the Roe versus Wade document was leaked. There was a there was a guy wearing a shirt that said "Vote by Mail" and had some type of drawing on it. So they really value this vote by mail stuff. And let me, I think Al Killer appreciate this. We're not going to get the Al Killer for one minute because I want to talk about Laura Logan's boobs. May I? She's because you know what I'm talking about, right, Rod? Yeah, I saw that picture last night, I believe. Right. Laura Logan, who's a reporter, she's covered, she's been a host on 60 Minutes. She used to be, and people say this, a respected reporter, which is not a career goal of mine. Being a respected reporter, respected by who? Jake Tapper, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Mano? No thanks. But Laura Logan was at a party showing the new Dinesh D'Souza film, right? At Mar-a-Lago. And she was with Kyle Rittenhouse, the young man who was unfairly put on trial for shooting she conducted in self-defense. And luckily he was found guilty. And Laura Logan was near Kyle Rittenhouse. Apparently she went as his date or something like that. And, and I doubt they're really dating. But Laura Logan, aside from the fact she's a brave reporter, she was sexually assaulted in Tahrir Square in Egypt covering those protests. So she's dealt with dangerous situations. And Laura Logan has cleavage. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, in this picture, she definitely has a, a lot of cleavage. Yes. And... I'm not knocking it. I'll admit, I like boobs. I'm on the record. I'm pro-boob. But a lot of people on the left were, you know, attacking her appearance. And I don't understand. Look, I understand people attacking my appearance because look at me. I get that. But what is there to criticize about Laura Logan's appearance? I'm missing it, Rod. Uh, that's uh, that's a picture of all of you know. She's all woman in that picture. That's why you know. Right. So, uh, that's why they're criticizing it. And you saw that. You saw the liberals going after her appearance, right? Yeah, I think because she's there, and and you know they're playing the the, the movie Two Thousand Mules. You know, I've confirmed it's Two Thousand Mules. Yeah. Yeah, I misread that. And then we, uh, we have uh, we have David after Al Killer as well. Okay, so Owl Killer, 202-521-1320, do you mind being preempted for a moment so I could talk about boobs? Not at all, and uh, and maybe if she had a blue mohawk, uh, they would have appreciated her appearance, or if she had like a mastectomy or something, she would have said Or if she was a guy, if she was a guy with the, if Kyle Rittenhouse had had those boobs, and he changed his name to Kayla Rittenhouse, then they would have been in favor of that. But the fact that a woman looked like a woman, I'll put it like that. I don't know if you know this. Boobs actually have a purpose, aside from looking at them. Babies use them. Have you heard that? Babies. I, I have get milk out of them. I I I don't know where I, I don't know where I heard that. Um, because what was it? Uh, wasn't Pete Buttigieg? Didn't he have like 
two months, two or three months off for uh, male breastfeeding for his uh, right. If, child. If Pete, if Pete Boonjiggy had that cleavage, it would have been the cover of Time magazine as man of the year or whatever pronoun of the year. Man of the year. But what is up with Al Keller? Go ahead. So I, I really um, I appreciate you guys uh, talking, um, having that discussion about Mayorkas in the previous hour. Um, that uh, exchange that he had with Rand Paul, I mean, I, I think the right. I think we can see now what this disinformation is about. Okay, so they went for broke with the 2020 election, and they they used two things simultaneously. Well, they they used the COVID pandemic and the Floyd. Uh, the uh, George Floyd protests throughout the nation to justify protecting us for our own good and the the media censoring everything. So, and that created the process of them being able to have the mail-in ballots. What they're now they're what they're going for broke is they can't. You can. I think it's Anne Rand. I'm going to butcher her quote. She said that you can ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of reality. And now they're in charge, and in order to cover up or in order to distract from the, the, their disastrous policies, they have to censor. There's no way they can have a, a fair exchange of information because they're going to look ridiculous. But they're going for broke. I just saw the United Nations um, do an, an announcement with the World Economic Forum, um, I think, last week. And they were talking about their 2030, the Agenda 2030 partnership and how they're now speeding it up. So the what regardless of what they're going to just like what they're going to say, the reason that they're doing their censorship, it's clearly to counter any type of government dissent. That's really what it comes down to. And that's what Rand Paul was trying to press my workers into, because that is at the end of the day. They don't care. Like um, Rod was talking about the Pfizer information. They had that information for over a year, and they did not let it out, and now they're censoring it again. They, all, they already had that information. So they're, just, they're, they're gatekeepers for the big, pharma, uh, big pharma and for the military-industrial complex, and they're going to censor any type of dissent possible. Like that, that is their goal, that they want to be – when you know – the Ministry of Truth is overused, but that's exactly what they're setting up. And you're not going to, and they're putting the controls in place where you're not going. Like just for example, with the the trucker protests where they're take in Canada, where they were taking people's jobs and they were just they were taking the money that was donated, and people's careers are ruined. They'll they'll it's going to be very hard to function in Canada. That's what they're setting up. Where if you don't toe the line, you are not going to be able to function in society. Yes. It's if you're against the establishment position, and this is enforcing what Noam Chomsky referred to as manufacturing consent. This is enforcing consent, right? Right, Alcala. No, one hundred percent. So manufacturing consent, you still have you still have the volunt You still the person has to, in their mind, say, okay, I'm accepting this as being as being truth. Enforcing consent is a is a different story. Where you're not able to, they're, the controls are being put in place for you not to be able to um, respond. I mean, if you can't eat, you can't you can't respond. So you're, you're you have people that are going to conform because for their own livelihood, not because they agree. 
So that's enforced. That's different from manufacturer, I believe. Propaganda manufacturers consent. They 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 war propaganda is manufacturer consent forever. Uh, Al Killer, great call. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling back. And that's Al Killer, one of our regular callers here on the backstory. And uh, I, I have another clip I want to play, uh, and it relates somewhat to the topic I was talking about, but also to something we'll be talking to Tom Nichols about. He's our guest at the bottom of the hour. But I want to point out, Rod, Rod back me up here. This, the I was talking about Laura Logan, and uh, am I exaggerating the attacks? Laura Logan, I, uh, let me point out why I was talking about that. For anyone who's not familiar with it, she was being attacked on Twitter by a lot of people, and they were attacking her for her looks. Right, Rod? Yeah, I saw, I saw that. At first, I saw it because uh, people were uh, acknowledging that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was a uh, had his eyes on the camera and instead of, instead of on Laura Logan for that for that picture. But then I did see the attacks, which you know, it's just uh, it goes for the for um, where we are in present day. I mean, uh, we also had the Supreme Court justices' uh, address addresses uh, posted online, and uh, the White House said, "Well, you know, it's okay." It's Peaceful protesting. So I was not talking about it for pure interest. What they were talking about was specifically her cleavage, and she was being attacked for it, and her reporting was being attacked for it, right? Yeah, for her being at the event, too, yeah. Also, yes. that's, another, that's another thing they were attacking her for. And again, I have respect for Laura Logan. She recently made a statement about the war which is one of the best. I think we played on the show, didn't we? No, 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 we didn't. But did you see it? I did see it. Yeah, I did see it. She made a point that you're expected to take one side and not even look at the other side in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And I thought it was a good statement. But I'm pointing out the reason I brought it up and people like they care in the word boobs that I didn't make that up, and I, I'm not just talking about it. It was surprising, and it's very typical of the left right now. But attacking a woman for her looks is gross enough. But attacking a woman for her looks when there's, I, I, I'll tell you, another person I defended in that way. I don't like Republican attacks. When I say Republicans go after Michelle Obama for her looks and they show a picture of her, and I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I've spoken out against that. Attacking someone for their looks and attacking their ability as a reporter is gross. And it's even grosser to me when they're not, there's nothing wrong with their looks. And so that's why the topic came up. But let's play this next clip. Now, this clip I originally found at the end of this, you'll hear Joe Biden accusing Russia of covering up, of planting. She called it a Russian plant. He called it a Russian plant. You'll hear. Yeah, yeah, Ron. 
the 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 clip got cut short. I just want to let you know it, it it got cut short. At so it's not it's not the whole clip. Okay. Well, at the end of the full, it doesn't make any difference because people have heard Joe Biden say that. But the interesting part that's how I found the clip searching for Biden talking about it being a Russian plan. And at the end of this debate appearance, he talked about it. But what I'm going to talk about is another argument that Republicans and Donald Trump's made specifically. You, you've heard Donald Trump be accused, for instance, he hates all Muslims, right? You've heard that accusation, right? Right. And the reason that he say that is because he's called out violent Islamic terrorism. And I pointed out he's correct in pointing out violent Islamic terrorism, although the real perpetrators of it are Salafi groups, Sunni Muslims who are Wahhabis, like and sponsored by Saudi Arabia. So pointing out criminal terrorists who happen to be Muslim is not saying if he had said all Muslims are terrorists, I would agree that's offensive. Would you? Yeah, 100 percent, 100 percent. Right. So and if someone said all Mexicans are thieves, therefore, a lot of people come across the border who are Mexican, therefore, they're thieves. That's inaccurate. But the fact is, gangs have helped get people into the country using the broken border, right? Yeah, very specific. You can you can see videos of that online. They're not that's open. They're open with it. And so, calling all Mexicans something would be offensive. Now, what they're going to be doing here? This is during the debates. And listen to Trump. He's falling into that exact same trap about the term super predators. And super predators, well, you'll hear him. He sounds like a Democrat Black Lives Matter advocate. This is a pathetic appearance by Donald Trump at the debate, buying into the same tactic of misreading. I've listened to Hillary Clinton. He's attacking Hillary Clinton for saying super predators. And we'll talk about that after they play the clip. Let's play it. I want to talk about the way black and brown Americans experience race in this country. Part of that experience is something called the talk. It happens regardless of class and income. Parents who feel they have no choice but to prepare their children for the chance that they could be targeted, including by the police, for no reason other than the color of their skin. Mr. Vice President, in the next two minutes, I want you to speak directly to these families. Do you understand why these parents fear for their children? I do. I do. You know, my daughter is a social worker, and... uh... She's all, she's written a lot about this. She has a graduate degree from the University of Pennsylvania in social work. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I ended up working on the east side of Wilmington, Delaware, which is 90 percent African-American, was to learn more about what was going on. What I didn't, I never had to tell my daughter, 
if she's pulled over, make sure she puts for a traffic stop, put both hands on top of the wheel and don't reach for the glove box because someone may shoot you. But a black parent, no matter how wealthy or how poor they are, has to teach their child when you're walking down the street, don't have a hoodie on when you go across the street, making sure that you, in fact, if you get pulled over, just yes, sir, no, sir, hands on top of the wheel, because you are, in fact, the victim, whether you're a person making 300000 child of a $300,000 a year person or someone who's on, on, on food stamps. The fact of the matter is there is institutional racism in America. And we have always said, we've never lived up to it, that we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women are created equal. Well, guess what? We have never, ever lived up to it, but we've always constantly been moving the needle further and further to inclusion, not exclusion. This is the first president to come along and says, that's the end of that. We're not going to do that anymore. Trump's response is basically saying, well, Hillary says super predator. First off, the thing that Biden said there, Rod, have you ever heard anyone say, anyone say, don't wear a hoodie when you cross the street? No, not Lee. I never heard anybody say that. Right. And and he's implying that the police shoot. And this is the lie. The numbers are very clear. If you're black, you're more, much more likely to be killed by a young black male than by a cop. And the and the fact is I would tell my son, if if we're talking about what if you're pulled over, I would say, keep your hands on the wheel where they can see them and don't suddenly reach the glove box. Because white people get shot doing that all the time. And we've looked into this. We've looked into the numbers. The amount of police shootings, and he's implying that the country is so racist that the cops shoot police for no reason whatsoever. And Rod, when you look in these shootings that Black Lives Matter makes a big deal of, are there cases, a lot of them, is every case like they said about in Ferguson, hands up, don't shoot, which is a lie. Do people often get shot in these cases for no reason, or are they fighting the cops? Rod? Yeah, no, there's there's usually a reason. There's usually something that's happened. There's no there's very, very rare where uh, uh someone's getting shot for no reason. Uh there's YouTube channels dedicated to police encounters with uh citizens of all nationalities here in America. There's one of them called police activity. Uh there's a lot of Hispanic people to get in shootouts with police, uh white, black, Asian. It's so does you know, you can see it. There's, there's, uh, you don't need the media to tell you can see it for yourself. Right. Fighting the cops is generally a bad idea. And shooting them is really a bad idea. And I want to talk about that super predator thing, because a lot of people and Donald Trump, what 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 he did in the rest of that clip, his response is he attacked Hillary for saying super predator. And when we come back, I'll ask Tom Nichols whether he knows anything about that, because I wouldn't be surprised if he does. If he doesn't, that's fine. But. He knows a lot about these crime issues being in Philly. And so we'll talk to Tom Nichols right after this break. 
on the backstory. half hour of the week on the backstory. We are heard on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on 105.5 FM and AM 1390. Joining us now is author and writer Tom Nichols. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hey, Lee, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm okay. So we're, we're headed to the weekend, and weekend in Philly, there's bound to be a lot of shooting, right? Yes, well, that's the way it's been for a while. Um, thank God it's not in my neighborhood, more or less, but uh, but it can happen anywhere. And it's, of course, it's white cops shooting black people. That's what all shootings are, right? Well, that's the line right out of uh, BLM and Antifa and blow-it-up-style activists, sure. I mean, if you want to believe that. But... You know, there's there's like always always a, a context around a shooting, and, and but that often gets lost, um, as you know, in the reporting. No, I do. And have you heard the criticism of Hillary Clinton that comes from the Black Lives Matter? And Trump has picked up on it. She called black people super predators. Have you heard that criticism? She did. She did. I. I think she said that years ago, didn't she? Um, yes, it was in the nineties. That have come back to like haunt her. Um, I mean, I think she. She. Uh, you know, she's basically a woman who speaks before she thinks um, a lot of the time, and. I feel sorry for Bill Clinton because he must have really gone through it with her in many instances. But, um, I mean, I don't know whether if she explained that comment or not, or whether if she just said it and just walked away. I mean, certainly in big cities, um, that's sometimes the impression you get. Although... Well, this came up in the 90s, and I you remember that era. So there was a new... She did not coin the term super predators, and she didn't say, I, I'm defending Hillary Clinton because it's an unfair accusation, and I don't like it, it, this unfairness against anyone. She never said black people are super predators. She never said all black people are super predators. She didn't coin the phrase. It was a Princeton professor who coined the phrase, and he was referring to this is around the time of Central Park jogging. And remember in the 90s, there was suddenly a new phenomenon of violent criminals, young people, who were not only very violent, but also seemingly without remorse. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. They, um, they did it on the fly, as it were. <clears throat> and no conscience, no remorse. Uh, do it and walk away. I mean, certainly, uh, you mentioned the uh, Central Park jogger, which is interesting to me because actually they 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 had the wrong suspects um, at first, and and those guys were uh, pretty well crucified in the media. Um, 
And it's interesting to note that 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 probably wouldn't happen today, even if they had been guilty. But in the in the 90s, I think when the Central Park jogger case came about, it took one journalist, Joan uh, Didion, to really get at the root of that. And uh, but it wasn't easy. But they were in fact innocent. It's just a just a side story, I guess. But also, what happened to the victim was horrible. Yeah, and, completely horrible. And she didn't. This isn't like Tawana Brawley was made up accusation. Right. This is a real horrible case, and the I find the victim often gets lost in that. Yeah, she does, and I, I think she she made some comments not not too long ago, and um, you know I I forget what they were, but I it's astounding that she even survived. Um, that's that's the most astounding thing of all. Um, yes, and 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 what I object to is I don't like the implication is that she called all black people super predators. No, she didn't. She called a specific. This is also when a lot of the stuff was happening. Gangs, the Crips and the Bloods, were coming back into the media, and they saw people doing drive-by shootings and having no remorse whatsoever. And so, this Princeton professor used that term, yeah. and a number of people picked up on it. But they were dealing with a real crime problem which is dropped and it's made out to be a racist statement by Hillary Clinton. And there's other reasons you could accuse Hillary Clinton of racism, but not that one. And, and in Philly, like I say, it's easy to predict that this weekend there'll be a number of people shot. If it, and ultimately ignoring these statistics hurts black people, I think, because most of the victims of this black crime are black themselves. So you don't help them by defending right. this. Just, uh, just, uh, What's your take on that, Tom? Um, well, you're right. Most of the victims are black, and unfortunately it is black on black, uh, just as most of the victims in abortion are black babies. And uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking of now, considering what just happened in the news. But... Um, you know, I, I I think that as far as predatory behavior goes, all criminals are in a sense uh, predators, and um, and that's what they are, and they should be called on it. And um, so, and you know, this this uh, crime thing it it seems to happen in waves in this town. Um, my neighborhood has been relatively quiet. There are a few things here and there. But I do know that, that not too long ago in Pensalkin, it was a national news story, um, three people tried to sell a car. I believe it was a husband and wife and a grandmother or something. Um, I don't know what color these people were, but it really doesn't matter. But it just relates to crime in general. Um, the buyer came over. Uh, intending to buy the car, but in the meantime, the sellers changed their their mind, and the um, the buyer was so upset that he shot and killed all three of them, just 
on the spot. And, and so, yeah, this goes back to this, this instantaneous killing and walking away mindset that seems to be coming back from the mid-90s. And so this is what we have now, this kind of detached, uh, emotionless, um, bam, bam, you're dead, walk away. But it happens everywhere. It, it can even happen on the highway with a simple hit and run. Um, there's a detachment now. There's a, our, our humanity is being sapped and drained, and it's very sad and very dangerous. Yes. No, I agree. And so, Tom, you write a number of places, including front page. Uh, what have you been writing about lately? What's been on your mind? Well, the last thing the last thing I had published on front page was about Pope Francis and a traditional order of of Carmelites that he's kind of put under his thumb because they're too traditional and he wants to kind of unionize them as it were and make them mainstream and modern. But a piece that I just submitted is is on uh the new head of the uh disinformation board as part of uh, DHS, um, Nina Jankowitz. And so I did a lot of research on her. And that, of course, I, I find that very depressing and very, very scary. Um, and are you impressed with Nina Jankowitz as a no, professional? Not at all. I mean, she, um, you know, visually, I guess she belongs on the cover of a style magazine with her lipstick and long hair. And I guess she can sing sort of when she satirizes Mary Poppins and talks about this information. But, but basically, despite her, her on the surface, good academic credentials, she's a very stupid woman. I mean, she, she attributed the whole Hunter laptop thing to Russian disinformation. And well, if not stupid, at least she's a partisan hack. And I forget what Trump called her, but but he had he had a priceless term that he used for her. Um, you know, and if you like look at her tweets, it, it's they're all this this typical woke garbage about the use of uh, uh, pronouns, and I mean everything that you would expect. She's like a walking stereotype, and. And yet she's only like 33, so she doesn't really have the life experience. Uh, there's no seasoning there. There's just pure um, ideology in a young body full of, like, lipstick and a nice hairdo. And it's uh, to me, it's very scary. And what surprised you when you did research on her? Did anything jump out at you that's not being reported too much? Or that you found surprising, particularly, about Nia Jankowitz? Um, you know, that. I guess the thing that, that surprised... I, I mean, several things stood out. Um, um, I'm always curious about somebody's religion. And just that, like, with a bet with myself, um, I said to myself, I bet she's an atheist or she has, like, no religion because extreme left people tend to have politics or left-wing politics as their um, religion. And, you know, sure enough, um, I was right. So, so I mean, that, that uh, surfaced. But, um, 
I I guess I I was just amazed at at the whole workings of this disinformation group and of course it it's been said repeatedly how Orwellian it is and how much like a North Korean uh, government agency it is, or George Orwell's Ministry of Truth. I mean, they they claim that they're not going to uh, put the ordinary American citizen under their thumb or censor free speech, but you know how organizations change over time. There's an organic growth, and um, while that may be the policy now, um, the Department of Homeland Security um, itself uh, changes uh, depending on who is president, and it certainly changed under Biden because because Biden has been using DHS to like look into so-called white supremacy. This like this like myth that there are KKK people in every small town masquerading as, like, Knights of Columbus people or something. I mean, so this, so this is just one more leftist uh, building block in, in the whole woke uh, tower of uh, Babel, and it's extremely scary. Um, and, of course, this... That was breaking news right before the uh, Supreme Court thing broke. So it was like two sets of uh, upsetting um, major um, incidences. Well, Anne Jankowicz, she's been put forth. Every time she comes up with Jen Psaki at the White House, Jen Psaki will make some statement. Well, she's a subject matter expert and acknowledges authority on disinformation. And I've learned what that seems to mean. And I, I think I'm being fair about this, so tell me if it, it comports with your experience. Nia Jankowicz had never met a rumor about Vladimir Putin that she doesn't accept. Every, every statement about Vladimir Putin, anything attacking Russia, she accepts uncritically. And I think why she accepted the Hunter Biden laptop story was from Russia. It's because it's also, aside from a Biden story, it's a Russia story. It's saying Russia planted this information, and she accepts everything. And, in fact, she's a book on disinformation. I know. I, have you taken a look at that at all? I, 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 haven't, I haven't looked into the actual book. I just know the titles, and I know that she also has a book on women online. I, I forget the rest of the title. Uh, I assume it's about dating and disinformation when it comes to dating stats. I don't know. but And the danger that women face online, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, everybody does. I mean, uh, but, uh, but, but I guess women would in general more than men. But, um, you know, to, to be a really good card-carrying leftist, you – you have to hate Russia from A to Z. I mean, this this is like a 101 requirement. It's part of your uh, credentials. And so I'm not surprised it's become such a boring cliche, you know, this whole Russia thing. And I mean, it was um, – so, I mean, uh, I'm I'm not – surprised that uh, there's not an original thought in her head she's all she's all about the narrative she uh, and 
she's so young, I, I don't think she knows any uh, different. I, I mean, she... You know, you can be stupid and have the greatest academic uh, credentials, but you can also have the inability to think and discern for yourself. And but, you know, she she um, made that uh, TikTok video about wanting to be famous, and she would do anything to be famous. And she even goes into depth with with the F word and uh, you get the picture. So, so now she's like finally famous and she can be famous as a disinformation queen, but um, it's a, it's a terrible choice and it's indicative of the direction of this pathetic administration. I mean, it, no, I, I made a statement recently that I, I, I don't just says this. I said this on Twitter. I don't see, what do Democrats stand for? Now, I'm going to say, if you're pro-choice, that's the party you want to be in. That's the only thing that's not patently, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it in a different category because I don't want to debate it. People have different opinions on that, factually. Right. And I'm, I'm pro-life, but I'm not going to debate that, as you know. But everything else, the Democrats seem to be, be the party of anti-free speech, the party of war, the party of the deep state, the party of the CIA, the party of vaccine mandates, mm. the stuff that the Democrat Party is in favor of and aggressively in favor of is just a collection of things that is very different than the Democrats in times past have been in favor of, and particularly free speech, for instance, or being in favor of the CIA. Remember the church committee, the church committee was a Democrat going after the CIA in the 70s. Yeah. And what's happened to the Democrats? Yeah, I mean, uh, there were, there were, you know, there, there um, used to be pro-life Democrats like uh, Casey of um, Pennsylvania. There was actually a large contingent of them. Where have they all gone? Um, they've probably been silenced vis-a-vis -vis intimidation or something. Um, and it used to be a great thing to be known as a classic liberal because a classic liberal believed in free speech, uh, freedom of expression. But that's no longer true with the party of Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's completely changed. Um, I think that most people can see that. Most Democrats, though, refuse to see it. And uh, this is what stumps me, how they could not see it. Um, you know, um, I mean, I have I have friends who 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 talk about DeSantis in Florida banning uh, children's math books, but they forget the other part of that. Why did he ban children's math books? Because they contain uh, critical race theory ideology. And why don't you why don't you like mention that part of the story? Um, so that. They have a selective kind of, I don't know, uh, process by which they judge um, the world events, national events, everything. It's a kind well, of willful blindness, I, I think. No, I, I think it is. I think it's a good way to put it. And we had Ted Rawl on last hour, and I mentioned he's a creative person. He's an author and a cartoonist. And you, Tom Nichols, are also a creative person. You've written fiction books. 
and articles. Do you find it weird that creative people are opposing free speech? I find that suicidal. I find it very, very suicidal because they could be, in some sense, signing their own death warrant. Uh, who knows when this free speech, this this clampdown on free speech may not take a U-turn at some point and go into uh, into the realm of, you know, non-political thought that somebody in power finds objectionable. And... Um, Every most creative people, if you allow your your so-called creativity to 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 run rampant, which it has to when when you want to come upon an idea, um, uh, you're gonna your mind will go to many many places, and uh, if you put that up before a board of approvals. Um, there will always be somebody who will object to what you're thinking or what you're writing, but 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 as you you know, um, I think it's a, it's a definite uh, suicide pact. Um, no, and and sometimes it can be literally because I don't know if a motive has been revealed. But comedian Dave Chappelle was attacked the other night on the stage of the Hollywood Bowl, and uh, even Chris Rock getting slapped by Will Smith. It's becoming dangerous, actually dangerous, to be a comedian. And what's your take on that? Yeah, well, I mean, as I think Jerry Seinfeld said years ago, that uh, comedy comedy died the moment that political correctness uh, was kind of enshrined into the canon, into the national canon. I've, I've been, like, observing this for, like, a long time now. And it's been it's been growing by leaps and bounds. Um, comedy isn't so funny anymore. Saturday Night Live is a joke because the satire is milk toast. It has no bite. There's no visionary there. There, and and so of course comedians are going to be afraid because people stand ready to be offended, and they can't they can't swallow. Um, you know, disapproval, or they can't process it mentally like people used to be able to. Um, they have to get up and display their temper. And so um, I feel sorry for comedians. Um, yeah, comedy is in a and, bad way. And also, the author Arthur Kessler has a theory on creativity and, and humor. Arthur Kessler talked about humor in one of his books. And he said, humor is a result of surprise. Mm. Where you think you think it's going one way, and then the punchline comes, and what you're hearing takes a different tone. And whether it's wordplay or any kind of humor, I think he's right. And if you're afraid to confound people's expectations, because one of this, like Jankowicz is a perfect example, she's completely, and even, and comedy, the White House Correspondence Center, Trevor Noah, he's taking the establishment line, and that means that there's no surprises, and therefore, that's why you've killed humor, because if you get rid of surprises, you get rid of the joke. But uh, what's the antidote to this, do you think? 
<laughs> the antidote is to is to just um, um, do your comedy, take the slings and arrows, and don't put and don't voluntarily go to the gallows and become like one of them. Now that that may be a bit too brave for like most people, but. Um, you know, we all can't be like lemmings going into the sea. Uh, there has to be pushback, and it can happen little by little, just as this terrible state that we're in there now happens little by little. Um, but I think it's up to the individual. You can't you can't retreat in your mind, and you can't turn yourself over to them, as it were. You know what I mean. No, I agree completely. And if that means not selling out, in other words, you know, uh, personally, I I made a choice when I came to work for Sputnik. I know it, it's not a career path where I'm going to end up in the New York Times or the Washington Post. You don't go from Sputnik to the New York Times. But I thought I had the ability to tell the truth in a free environment, and I'll pick that. I'll pick freedom and less income and less acclaim over being a popular slave. And Tom Nichols, great conversation, great appearance. Where's your newest piece at? Where can people find it? Thank you, Lee. I, 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 a piece in City Journal New York appeared appeared this morning on the on the so-called "Don't Say Gay" bill in Florida. So, so that that just was published today. And Tom Nichols. Great appearance. Thanks so much to Ted Rawl last hour for a great appearance. And it's a heck of a way. By the way, if you're in Philadelphia, the weekend is just almost here. So duck. Let me just say that. Stay safe, everyone. Rod, thanks so much. Great week of booking. And check out my appearance on Crosstalk on RT. It's out today. This is Lisa Ann for The Backstory. See you next week. 